We're singing about hope, preaching about hope. It's in the word, it's sort of the theme for the day. Hope, faith, it's a, it's, it's a theme for a while. We finally have gotten to Hebrews chapter 11. Uh, for those of you who are just beginning to attend Grace, you may be interested to know that in the fall of 2014, we spent 10 weeks in the book of Job. Um, Look, I don't, if you're anything like I am, if you have any interest in sermons, I'd much rather read it than hear it. I love hearing preaching, but I can read so much quicker. The manuscripts are online as well as the, the tapes. But in those uh, week, 10 weeks, we began in Romans 8, uh, which we would be very relevant at this spot in our study of Hebrews, especially since Hebrews was written to this small group of Jewish believers in Rome who were about to face significant, extreme, and violent persecution. When you read the book of Job, you're you're almost breathless as you watch wave after wave of, of disaster come upon him. And this great tragedy in his life was so much greater in the whole than it was just taking the individual parts and saying, oh, that's bad, that's bad. When you think about it all together, it's just awful. Uh, you ever noticed how the patterns that are in Scripture uh, so often end up being patterns in our lives? Another one of those series we did not too many years ago was in the book of Genesis. And it was stunning how relevant the book of Genesis is to today. It's, they acted just like we act. And we act just like they acted. We're all, it, all through history, there are certain patterns in, 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 in individuals, but there also seem to be patterns in the way things happen. Hopefully, none of you have experienced the kind of devastation that Job faced. But I'm going to guess that you understand what someone means when they say, when it rains, it pours. I mean, you, you just have something bad happen in your life. And then another bad thing. And finally, at some point, you're like, really? Right now, really? Cancer's not enough? And losing my job? But the transmission has to go out? Really? It's just the way it seems to happen. Maybe the most difficult thing for Job was this absolute and utter isolation. I mean, his wife said, Job, just curse God and die. Obviously, this is too much for anybody to handle. And his friends sat silent for a week, but then they judged him. Guilty! Guilty! It must be you, Job. There's no way these bad things would happen to someone unless God were judging them. Do you think this is the blessing of God on you, Job? You're guilty. Worst of all, The heavens remained silent when Job cried out to the Lord, What have I done? I've done nothing to deserve all of this. Nothing that would have caused all of that tragedy, including the death of all ten of his children in one blow. Can I stop right here and just ask you a question? If God answered every prayer exactly as you ask it, Would there be any need for faith? We would have then reduced him, as we do in our land, to a Santa Claus. 
I mean, a celestial Santa Claus. And by the way, I've been a good boy lately. Haven't you noticed? But it's the wrong season for that analogy. So back to Job. Well, back to our Job-like lives. Maybe the worst thing about your cancer diagnosis or your job loss or your bankruptcy or the breakup of your marriage or your personal struggle is that you feel so alone. And either you feel hopelessly guilty like Peter did when he denied Christ or you feel defensive and offended and misunderstood like Job. Either way, you're alone. Conversely, when you're facing a mountain that you absolutely just don't think you have the strength to climb, and someone who's been in the very same place that you are comes alongside and puts his or her arm around you and says, and says I know where you are. I've been there. There's a very strong comfort to something like that. That's what Hebrews 11 is. Hebrews 11 is all of these people who have gone before us and who have faced the same things that we have coming alongside of us through the Spirit of God in the Word of God and saying, I know what you're going through. One of the great things about Hebrews 11 is that it reminds us that not only is it people who have been dead long ago, which really can't come along and put an arm around us, but we are reminded that it's our Creator and Redeemer who is saying, I know where you are. I know where you've been. I love you. I care for you. It's going to be all right. Maybe one of the great benefits of the book of Job is to remind us that there's more going on than meets the eye. And so that your physical suffering may very well be, or your job loss may very well be, because of your stand for Christ. Hebrews 11 can be a forest and a trees kind of a thing. When someone says, I'm afraid you can't see the forest for the trees, you understand what they're saying. They're saying you're so focused on the individual trees that you don't see the big picture. You're so focused on the details that you've missed the larger focus. You can do that in Hebrews 11, focusing only on all of the different characters who are commended for their faith. But if that's your only focus, you're going to have trouble when you get to Samson and Jephthah. I, I just see very little redeeming value in those guys. Obviously, there's more to it than just saying, follow this person's example, follow this person's example. At the same time, we can miss the trees for the forest. Or we can be so focused on the big picture that we miss all of the beautiful details that are written for our benefit. So we're going to try not to do it. There, there are big ideas in Hebrews 11. And it, we see these big ideas only because of all of the stuff that we have learned, all that we have understood in the first 10 chapters of Hebrews. And so we're going to be listing some of those big ideas every week and they'll just build and build and by the end who knows how many we'll have. This morning our text is uh, Hebrews 11, 1 to 7 and we're going to encounter four big ideas in this chapter beginning with the first one. The faith 
described in Hebrews 11 cannot be separated from the life, death, life, death, resurrection, and ascension of Jesus to the right hand of God, described in detail in Hebrews 1 through 10. If you just throw out everything in the first 10 chapters and just start with Hebrews 11, you're going to miss so much of what God is trying to say to you. Now, this may seem a bit suspect when you consider all of the people whose faith is acknowledged in Hebrews 11 lived before the time of Christ. So how can you say their faith doesn't mean anything apart from Christ? Um, It's not so much that they were looking forward to the death of Jesus. A suffering Messiah would have made no sense to them at all. But it was, according to Romans 3.25, God looking forward to Jesus' death on the cross. They were saved the same way we are. The faith in the promises of God, just the object of their faith was different. We'll talk about that more a little bit uh, later. So the faith to which the writer of Hebrews was pointing his readers was based on the gospel story. Jesus' death, resurrection is taught in those first 10 chapters of Hebrews. Second, therefore our faith is only as meaningful as the object of our faith, who is Jesus, is faithful. If God is not reliable, then our faith is meaningless. How do we know That God is reliable? Is there basis for our belief? Well, we would say, yes, there is. Christianity is an historical religion, and it was written at times in such a way that invited people to disprove the resurrection if they could. In 1 Corinthians 15, Paul said, look, there were over 500 people who saw the resurrected Christ, and most of them are living today. In other words, getting the ship... Go down to Jerusalem if you want to. Talk to him. Jesus Christ died and was raised from the dead. It is God's story being played out in Scripture and recorded as history. But it's also interpreted by the writer of Hebrews and other apostles to show the fullness and beauty of God's plan that was in place from the very beginning. As Tim Keller says, faith is more than, but not less than, rational. It makes sense, but but only if you have faith. The world says, show me God that you exist and I will believe you. And the scripture says, no, you've got it backwards. Believe me. Believe that I exist and I'll show you everything you need to know. And more than you could possibly Imagine God will show us. If Jesus is faithful, then our faith is meaningful. Another truth of Hebrews 11 is that faith is not blind. But the full reward for our faith will only be realized when we die or when Jesus returns, whichever comes first. Look, I've said this several times in this study of Hebrews. In fact, very recently. Why do we believe? Why do we believe? If the Bible is only a book of reason, if, ration, if, if using our reason, if it's only rational and, and, and we only use our reason to determine whether it's true, it can be disproved as easily as it can be shown to be a magnificent story 
that points us to Jesus. Why do we believe? We just do because the Spirit of God drew us to Christ and gave us the faith that we need to believe in Jesus. Every believer can testify to God's faithful keeping of his promises in his or her life. We can all point to something. You know, I was going through and I prayed and here's the way the Lord answered that prayer. But we will not see our full reward until we are in heaven. Faith and hope in Hebrews are closely related and hope, as we find almost every week in this part of Hebrews, is wrapped up in eternal life with Jesus. Not so much in the hope of this life getting better, although it, it often does. But our hope is in eternal life. The last big picture truth we'll think about this morning is God's word always accomplishes the purpose for which it was intended. You know the verse in Isaiah 55, don't you, that makes this very claim? My word shall accomplish that which I purpose and shall succeed in the thing for which I sent it. God's design for us is that our faith is inextricably linked with this word, his word, this word that we find in Scripture. When, When God's word is spoken to us, whether it's from what we're reading, whether it's the preached word, it's the shared word amongst one another, when God's word is shared with us, it either brings judgment or grace. You're going to see all four of these truths being played out in just these first seven verses that we're going to be reading. So after this lengthy introduction, we're going to read our text, Hebrews 11, verses 1 through 7. And as is our custom, I'll ask you to stand, if you would, for the reading of Scripture. Now, faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. For by it... The people of old received their commendation. By faith, we understand that the universe was created by the word of God. So that what is seen was not made out of things that are visible. By faith, Abel offered to God a more acceptable sacrifice than Cain. Through which he was commended as righteous. God commending him by accepting his gifts. By the way... That's, this is sort of a, the, the theme that we often talk about. The resurrection of Jesus showed that God accepted his sacrifice. God showed that Abel's faith was as it should be when he accepted his gift. And through his faith, though he died, he still speaks. By faith, Enoch was taken up so that he should not see death. And he was not found because God had taken him. Now before he was taken, he was commended as having pleased God. And without faith, it is impossible to please him. For whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him. By faith, being warned by God concerning events as yet unseen, in reverent fear, Noah, I'm sorry, by faith, Noah, constructed an ark for the saving of his household. By this, he condemned the world 
and became an heir of the righteousness that comes by faith. Let's pray. Father, um, we acknowledge that we only know you as you have revealed yourself to us. We are grateful for the creation that, that just cries out your name. We're grateful for the conscience, consciences you have given us that will not allow us to live any way that we want to, but just helps us to know that there is a right and wrong and someone bigger than ourselves, not just something, someone bigger than ourselves has to say in who is right and wrong or what is right and wrong in this world. We thank you for your word that is a very direct revelation to us of not only your existence, but your plan for our lives. And thank you for the last word, Jesus, who is the reason that we have hope in this life, not just hopeful that things are going to turn around in the economy or in our personal situation, but hope for eternal life. We thank you for Jesus. We pray that our faith would be strengthened as we look to you As we look to him, the crucified and risen Lord, who sits at the right hand of the Father, ever making intercession for us, ever helping us, because he knows what we've gone through. And now as we look at this list, we begin to look at this list of fallen men and women who by faith were made righteous, not by their works, but by their faith. We pray that you would encourage us, And teach us the things we need to know in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks and be seated. Now faith is the assurance of things hoped for. The conviction of things not seen. Aren't you glad that God tells us exactly what faith is? If you can explain this, please come up here and take this microphone and tell us what what does this mean? I mean, my dad used to say it's clear as mud. Look, it's God's word. And he gives us ways for understanding what he means. And you can't just look at this verse and say, well, okay, faith is this. uh, Well, you have this assurance of things that you don't see. But when you look at it in context, it begins to fall in place. If we break it down just a bit, it starts to take shape. Hope over and over, is the promise of eternal life that we have in Jesus. And not only do we have the witness of Jesus when he was on earth, but we have God's word that carefully lays out why Jesus came, why he did the things that he did, why he allowed the things to happen to him that he did. For people to crucify him when he could have called 10,000 angels to destroy his enemies. Why did all of that happen? Scripture lays it out carefully and tells us about his perfect life, his death, his sacrificial death, the resurrection and his ascension to the Father's right hand. And it tells us what it means and how it was always being pointed to all along. And you go back and you see, yes, 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 it's everywhere in Scripture. Not only are God's promises wrapped up in his word, what does John 1 tell us? In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. And then later, the word became flesh and dwelt among us. Jesus Christ, the word of God in the flesh, his word to us. 
Jesus said, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. You understand God if you know me. So our faith is wrapped up in our belief that Jesus died for our sins. We are sure of the hope to which God has called us. And you are, aren't you? You're certain of it. These parents that were up here this morning were saying, Look, I've been hearing you. I've been watching the news. Maybe you think I'm over the top. I've certainly been, you know, called a fear mongerer. When I start to look at the culture and say, we're heading for some rough waters as believers. These parents know that. They've been hearing that. They're so sure of their hope in Jesus that they want their children to have it no matter what comes along. We're sure of the hope to which God has called us. Faith is also the conviction of things not seen. Now, this is where people think you're crazy, of course. Please show me some evidence of this God that you believe in. Truth is, some of you used to think that those who believed in an afterlife were crazy. And if they believed it to the level that they tried to convert you, they were certifiable. I mean, just absolutely get them off the streets, put them in an institution. And now, even in spite of all those thoughts that you had in the day, you believe God. You believe because the Spirit of God drew you to Jesus in whom you placed all of your hope for eternal life. And the choice you made to accept God's provision for sin as your hope is going to be addressed in the first few verses. But first, note that according to verse 2, the Old Testament people of God that we will encounter in this chapter were saved the same way that you are, by grace through faith. Now the object of their faith was different from ours. They believed the promises of God. They didn't know Jesus. Even though they recognized Psalm 22, even even though the rabbis interpreted Isaiah 53 as referring to Jesus, but or not Jesus, but they, they interpreted it as referring to the Messiah. It's like they interpreted it differently than a cross. They maybe they they, they figured, well, you know, he's gonna suffer because he's gonna be the leader and people aren't gonna like it, but he's gonna triumph over. They just had to make up something to satisfy their minds. And when they came to see Jesus on the cross and, and it hit them that Isaiah 53 was referring to this one, they reinterpreted Isaiah 53 because they couldn't bring themselves to believe Jesus was actually the fulfillment of Isaiah. 53. In fact, if you go far enough back in AD 300 or so, this is really technical, but the Jewish scribes who were pointing the Hebrew text, in other words, they were adding uh, punctuation and they were adding vowels, which the original Hebrew didn't have. They pointed the text away from Jesus in Isaiah 53. They did their best to say, No, this is not really what God was... You're trying to make too much out of this. And so we're just going to help you not believe in Jesus. So, 
Old Testament saints didn't have Jesus. Again, Romans 3.25 says that God was overlooking their sins and all of this sacrificial system that we've talked about in Hebrews 7-10, through 10, especially where the blood of bulls and goats were have, had to be offered year after year after year and never taken away sin. God was overlooking their sin, looking to Jesus. They, they couldn't be saved any more than we could apart from Jesus. But God saw into the future. So it's not that they were looking to Jesus, but God was. Uh, men and women of faith, both in the Old Testament and in these New Testament days, all believe that God spoke the world into existence. By faith, we understand that the universe was created by the word of God. So that what is seen was not made out of things that are visible. Look, this wasn't a try and fail and okay, maybe I'll need to say it a different way. God just spoke it and it happened. And that's always the case with God's word. It always accomplishes the purpose for which it was intended. If there is a creator, if we acknowledge that this is true, that, that God spoke the world into existence, then we are accountable to Him. If there is not a Creator, to whom are we accountable? It's ourselves. That's it. Just me. You can understand why some would work so hard to convince themselves through science and reason that there is no creator. But the evidence for a creator is so vast that even the most strident atheists have to question whether or not possibly they missed something. As, as Blaise Pascal, one of the most brilliant men who ever lived in the 17th century, a mathematician, philosopher, theologian, he's all of these things wrapped up, said, his wager, it, it's far better to live as though God exists than to live as though he doesn't exist. His argument is far more sophisticated than that. We won't take time. Lewis picked up on it. C.S. Lewis picked up on it. But are you willing? His point is this. Are you tr truly willing to risk that God only resides in the minds of weak men and women who are either afraid to die or are too backward to understand the way that the world really works? Consider Soren Kierkegaard's challenge. I always have fun with that. Kierkegaard, Kierkegaard. David can say it very well. Do you not know that there comes a midnight hour when everyone has to throw off his mask? Do you not believe that life will always let itself? Do you believe that life will always let itself be mocked? Do you think you can slip away a little before midnight in order to avoid this? Or are you not? Terrified by it. I don't know if you were paying attention, but I watched both Carl Sagan and Christopher Hitchens soften considerably these virulent, hate-spewing atheists, especially Hitchens. Sagan was just so sophisticated. He had no time for people who didn't believe the way he did, which is to not believe in a creator God. Uh, they both softened toward the end and almost expressed a little bit of doubt. Maybe, just maybe, but when you've had a lifetime of 
of saying this publicly, you can only say so much. For us, by faith, we understand that the universe was created by the word of God out of nothing. Ex nihilo, God created out of nothing. So that what is seen was not made out of things that are visible. We believe this on the basis of God's word to us in scripture. And to quote Tim Keller yet again. Unless you have an authoritative view of the Bible. You've got a God you created. And you're going to be lonely. And by the way. Look if, if you make scripture such that. Okay, I believe this part is authoritative, but over here, uh, no, I can't go with that. You've just created your own God. You don't have to reject the Bible fully to create your own God. You just have to reject parts of it. And take what fits and just throw out what doesn't fit. It would be best not to do that, it seems. The first person whose faith is given as an example for us in Hebrews 11 is Abel. And his faith is held in contrast to his brother's unbelief. Genesis 4 tells us that Cain and Abel were the first two people ever born. Well, it tells us Cain was the first ever born. And we assume Abel was the second. We know that there were sisters and and Adam and Eve were busy. Man, they would have fit in so well at Grace Community Church. With all their kids. They had a lot of kids. We don't know that. I mean, we're not told that, but it's very clear we assume that. If we believe them to be the first two uh, humans that ever lived, and we do. But they were not the first two that were ever born. That belongs to Cain and Abel. And it's fitting that these two are representative of all people who have ever lived. We all follow either the way of Cain or we follow the way of Abel. Now when Cain was born, Eve got pretty excited because God had promised that she would, one day there would be a man who would be sent who would undo the curse that had been put in place when Adam and Eve fell. And because of God's promise to Eve in Genesis 3.15... She was nearly certain that when Cain was born, he was the one. She said, I have gotten me a man with the help of the Lord. I, I understand that's the way childbirth is. I did this with the help of the Lord. and you know, My husband wasn't very much help, but the Lord really helped me here. Uh, what she meant was, I have gotten the man with the help of the Lord. She was thinking Cain was... The one, and of course that turned out not to be so. Cain and Abel knew everything about God that Adam and Eve knew. They knew about the cost of sin. Adam and Eve had told him the story, I'm certain, somewhere along the way. Uh, and, And even though we're not told about God's instructions to them to bring offerings to the Lord, we don't hear really about offerings and sacrifices in detail until the law in the book of Exodus. But it's very obvious all along the way people brought sacrifices to the Lord as offerings um, to Him. 
And Cain and Abel certainly knew about that. Now, Cain was a farmer. Abel was a shepherd. Nothing wrong, nothing right or wrong about either one of those professions. The problem in this story is Cain's heart. He brought the best fruit that he had from his, from his garden. And, 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 and clearly, his thinking was something along the lines of, surely the Lord will accept this. Look at what I've accomplished in this garden. He's going to be proud of me. Abel, on the other hand, knew that he was so unworthy that he dare not present himself before the Lord without a blood sacrifice. God accepted Abel's sacrifice and he rejected Cain's offering. And that infuriated Cain, who then killed his brother. It's Abel's faith in God's promises, verse 4 tells us, that still speaks. Back in Genesis, we're told that the blood of Abel cried out to the Lord. But now we're pointed to Abel's faith. So all men and women who have ever lived either follow Cain's way or they follow Abel's way. Cain's way is that can be anyone from the worst sinner who has ever lived to the nicest, most religious person imaginable who trusts in himself or herself. Or you could follow Abel's example, which is to approach God only through a blood sacrifice. And in our day, Jesus has been told to be, or has been, has, we have been told that Jesus is the end of all animal sacrifices, any sacrifice. He is the one to end it all. We approach God through faith in Jesus. So, I have to ask, which category, in which category are you placed? Where do you find yourself? Are you like Abel saying, well, you know, I mean, Cain like saying, I, I think I can make a pretty good case for myself. I can make a decent case when I get to heaven. I certainly, I'm going to look around me and I'm a lot better than a lot of people that I see. I don't do near the things that my neighbor down there does. So I think I'll be okay. Or do you see your need for God's mercy and like Abel, you come and say, Lord, I'm an unworthy sinner. Please forgive my sin. I know that my only hope is in the sacrifice that Jesus made on my behalf. Save me for Jesus' sake. Even though... God's acceptance of Abel's offering and his rejection of Cain's threw Cain into a rage that killed his brother the moment that Abel died. His faith became sight. And all these years he's lived with God in heaven and he will through all eternity. Enoch, on the other hand, never died. He was just taken. God took him. So, was Enoch's faith better than anybody else's faith? I don't think so. It's just that God used Enoch probably as a picture of what it's going to be like for those who are alive when Jesus comes back a second time. Come quickly, Lord Jesus. Wouldn't it be great if he would come right now uh, and, and, and all of our problems be gone, be, be gone, including the long lines for Mother's Day lunch that you're going to be Hitting in just a little bit, which is really not a big problem, is it? And when he comes, may we be found with faith. For according to verse 6, without faith, it is impossible to please him. 
For whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him. And that's really an indication, is it not, that, you, that your faith can't be this kind of, oh, wow. Look, I just believe it's got to be specific. It's got to be intentional. You've got to think about it. You've got to go to Scripture, examine the claims, and believe God when he says Jesus is the only way. You can't just say, well, I just believe there is a good God and a loving God, and he's gonna, everything's going to be all right. Without faith, it is impossible to please him, for whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him. There's a whole lot of Hebrews 11, or a whole lot of the book of Hebrews that's difficult to understand, but not this verse. Hebrews 11.6 is pretty clear. But you can become confused theologically if you take the rewards that are promised to men and women of faith to mean that everything in this life is going to go just like you want it to if you have enough faith. Remember from last week, the rewards that are promised in the New Testament are eternal in nature. And the man who wrote Hebrews was pastoring the people who would hear this sermon by telling them, even if you lose your life like Abel did, why did Abel lose his life? For his faith. Even if you lose your life because of your faith, God is going to commend your faith. And you're going to live eternally with Him. You have the hope of heaven. And surely some of these people died within weeks, months, years of reading Hebrews and the author was encouraging them to stand strong in the faith. So, in the worst of times, Abel's faith should encourage us knowing that we're going to be with Jesus after we die. And even more so, look for the Lord's return like Enoch was taken. Let's be, come Lord Jesus. When you are convinced that the New Testament teaches you'll be healed of, or everything will be put to rights in, in, in this life when you believe, then you are prone to the temptation of abandoning your faith when it goes badly. Please, I, I, I know, sometimes I, I think, wow, I sure did talk about this a lot. There's a lot of it in Hebrews because this was such a terrible time for these people. But look... There is so much being said this day, this day, right now, not only in Texas, all over the world. The southern hemisphere is rife with prosperity gospel. If you will just believe that God will do these good things for you, then he will do good things for you. It's sooner or later... Life just goes to pieces in this fallen world. And if your hope is in what's going to happen, what's going to turn around for you and your family, then when a child is killed by a drunk driver, what are you going to do then? What are you going to do when your spouse walks out? And you've done everything that you possibly can. Putting up with adultery even to save your marriage. If your hope is in this life, 
You're going to say, really? I guess I was just wrong about God. No, you were wrong about what God said. Your hope is in eternal life. And time and again, he gives us these beautiful pictures of his the day when everything will be made right. And, and beauty for ashes. All of those verses are true. We see it in this life. But if it's not, it's not because your faith wasn't big enough or good enough. And it's not because you were a really bad person. It's the way God designed for this life to go. Remember this. It's not your story and he's a part of it. It's his story and you are privileged to be in it no matter what it is. And if life is really bad right now, thank God that he has shown the world about his love for them through your faith in a difficult time. And, and stand strong in the Lord. Do you think... That when you begin to follow Jesus, that Satan's going to leave you alone. Saying, you know, too bad. I missed out on Jack Lucas, so I better move on to somebody else. <laughs> you belong to God and his enemy hates you even more now. And will do everything he can to destroy your faith. And one of the ways that he does it is to, is to misinform you about what faith actually does. And whose faith it actually is. It's the faith that God has given you that looks to Jesus. So, fortunately, God is the one who strengthens our faith, faith through His Word so that even when the world thinks we're crazy, we're given strength to stand and to find deliverance in Jesus. Noah had that kind of faith. I, I really wanted to end this message with verse 6, but the, but the language... Connects verses 1 and verse 7. We've talked about this. Inclusios. This is the way the author lets us know this is a block of thought. And, and Noah talks about, <clears throat> or when we t God talks about Noah, he's talking about events as yet unseen. And his faith caused him to act on the basis of God's word. Not only was Noah's fa family saved when the rest of the world thought he was a fool. But his faith spoke judgment to the world. By the way, I was seriously tempted to use this for the child dedication this morning. Just think about what Noah did for his family. The world said, you're an idiot, Noah. You're a fool. And the boys were saying, Dad, this really seems weird. He says, get that piece of wood right up there. You know, he just kept going. And one day came, and they saw that dad wasn't such a fool after all. But Noah's faith, one of those new words, spoke judgment to the world. Just like Abel's faith spoke judgment to Cain. If you live your life according to the gospel, then you are out of step with the world. And guess what? If you lived your life according to the gospel in 1940 in America, you were out of step with the culture. You have been all along. We have never owned the public square. We'll talk about that this year. If you're not familiar with that term, the Christian's voice in, 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 in public, in society, in the middle of things. 
We've never owned that. The message that we preach is a message of judgment. Not that we're wanting to condemn people. That's not our job. If it weren't for God's mercy, we. but just by preaching the gospel, we preach life to some and judgment to other. If you believe that the Bible is God's authoritative word in which he has given you everything you need to know about him, and that your only hope of a relationship with him is through Jesus, then you are so out of step with the world that your friends and family have begun turning on you. Or it could be the case. Hebrews 11 was written for you. Keep your faith. And I, like the writer of Hebrews, is confident. I am confident that you will do that as you stand firm on the unseen foundation of God's word. I don't know if you noticed that title and thought, huh? The unseen foundation of God's word. I can see it. I can see it on the screen. I've got it in my Bible, on my phone. I can see the word. Yes, but how do you know that it is the very word of God? You know it. By faith. And remember this as you read God's word, your faith will be strengthened. God's word always accomplishes the purpose for which it was intended, whether that be grace for those who believe or judgment for those who trust in themselves. Furthermore, your faith gives testimony to God's existence and his ways. Paul said something quite similar to what the author of Hebrews said about the kind of faith that will stand in the face of persecution and suffering. So we'll close this morning by reading Philippians 1, 27 to 30. I'm going to ask the worship team if you will come on up uh, now even as I read. Don't be distracted by the people who are walking up here. Just focus on the screen. Only Paul says to the Philippians, and he's writing from jail, Only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ, so that whether I come and see you or I'm absent, I may hear of you that you are standing firm in one spirit, with one mind, striving side by side for the faith of the gospel, and not frightened in anything by your opponents. This is a clear sign to them of their destruction, but of your salvation and that from God. For it has been granted to you that for the sake of Christ, you should not only believe in him, but also suffer for his sake. Engaged in the same conflict that you saw I had and now hear that I still have. Father, um, not many of us are at the place uh, Paul was when he said in this very chapter in, in Philippians 1, For me to live is Christ, to die is gain. I would rather just go ahead and die and be with the Lord. But I think God has something for me to do, so I will remain here. Lord, not many of us are in that place. Not many of us are in the place where we joyfully welcome persecution, trials, difficulties. Because we know that it makes us more like Christ and draws us closer to Him. Father, when we pray, make us more like Jesus, we realize that it's the way of the cross. But Father, the joy that comes with faith and, 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 and the assurance of what we hope for, the conviction of things that we do not see, Lord, there's joy in that. Lord, as the 
As the man said to Jesus with regard to his son, I believe, help my unbelief. We pray that you would increase our faith. In Jesus' name, amen. Today's benediction comes to us from Paul's first letter to the Thessalonians. Rejoice always, pray without ceasing, give thanks in all circumstances. This is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. Do not quench the spirit. Do not despise prophecies, but test everything. Hold fast to what is good. Abstain from every form of evil. Now may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely. And may your whole spirit and soul and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. And all God's people said, Amen.